Oh, so you have like Asian hair. Yeah. Is it thick too? I'm glad you said it. I didn't yeah. want to say it. So do you have a problem when you when you cut your hair short and then it grows out? Does it spike? Yep. You have Asian quality hair. Has he no said it. Asian, I didn't say it. Has no East or Southeast Asian person told you this? No, only hairdressers. And I'm I'm I've been like, well, I can't repeat that, right? Hey, it's another Wednesday, which means there's another conversation with podcast. Welcome back. If you're new here, this is the podcast where I'm essentially just trying to relearn how to talk to other people, especially uh, people that I find interesting that I invite on. And today's conversation is with Eugene Lee Yang. He's probably best known as one fourth of the Try Guys. They were with BuzzFeed, now they're independent. So I invited him in. I wanted to just learn more about him. He was very interesting to me, which is also part of the reason why this is the longest podcast that we've done so far. We, we literally talked for two hours straight, which actually on that note, there's literally no other place that I can sneak this sponsor, which by the way, oh my God, first sponsored episode of A Conversation With. And so yeah, I wanted to thank today's sponsor, Dollar Shave Club. We all know Dollar Shave Club has you covered for all your grooming needs. You got things for your shower, oral care, deodorants, and most importantly, shaving. And this holiday season, they also have your back for all your gifting needs too. From awesome members' favorite gift sets to gift cards and more, Dollar Shave Club has something for everyone. They even sent me their Shave Star set that I've been using for a while now. I gotta say, it's really nice to keep in this office for when I need to quickly get ready for a shoot like this one. Included, you get the executive handle and blades and a one ounce tube of Dr. Carver's shave butter. But main point, when you wanna snag some awesome and at the same time support this show, go to dollarshaveclub.com slash fill, where all you beautiful bastards can get your shave starter set for only $5. And maybe while you're at it, you get some holiday gift sets too. But with all of that said, enjoy the conversation. Hey, welcome back to A Conversation With. My name is Philip DeFranco, and today we're having a conversation with Eugene Lee Yang. Hello. Hello. Thanks for uh, doing this. Yeah, I realize we haven't met in person before. <laughs> is it, that's, this is the only way that that, that that can be a part of the conversation where you're like, I realized we're talking now, never met you. Yeah, well, I always thought you were a cool guy, so this is... Uh... This is an honor to be really here. Really, did because yeah. I, I and was, I don't find most people cool. I will take that, I, I, whether it be true praise or not. Because I was thinking back and I was like, "Oh shit, this is going to be kind of fun." Because I've been learning more and more about you, uh, kind of in, in anticipation of this, but also more so after you guys left BuzzFeed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've definitely been guilty of villainizing the Try Guys in the past. Oh, I mean, you are more than welcome to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't hold my previous employer in any sort of negative light because we were contractually obligated to be what we were. But I certainly uh, I certainly can understand the criticisms. But no, it wasn't really about the so part of the if, if you said it was like about the content or views, that probably like some jealousy in there. Right. I think that, there, that there's always going to be a little bit of that. Or yeah. you're just like, oh, it's this corporate thing. But I remember specifically we were up for, <laughs> I took it way too serious. I feel like it was like three years ago. Uh, we were up for audience choice of the year for the streamies. Oh. And anytime I promoted, I was like, guys, you have to help us beat the try guys. They're Buzzfeed. <laughs> don't, don't support the corporation. Yeah. But, uh, no, but then the more that I found about, found out about you guys, I was like, I really like these guys, especially your story is really, really interesting. Yeah. Not to completely shit on everybody else. No, your no, story no. Is yeah. Yeah. I, um, certainly sort of stumbled upon digital content, uh, really out of the blue. I was really focused on, um, becoming a filmmaker, doing writing and directing, went to USC film school and was sort of, uh, doing the hustle and grind here in LA, waitering, uh, directing music videos, commercials. Oh, wow. Didn't have a full-time job for five years. And so, BuzzFeed video happened to start. I knew someone who worked in the New York office and ended up being uh, one of the first video producers there. Oh, wow. When it was like not a viral star thing, it was clearly 
do you have hands and a voice? And so that's this, how I came into the, the fold you, there. Did you go in pre Zay Frank then? No, Zay Frank was there. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was about maybe a year where they're kind of figuring things out, but I really entered along with the other try guys who I'm most known for. Sure. In regards to a group, uh, we went there when it just at the beginning was starting to make an impact online with views and certainly was still in a very cool experimental phase. Uh, prior to being more talent forward. Yeah. Hearing that you went to film school definitely makes sense. I, uh, I I watched it again this morning, your your video on all the effort that went into your your coming out video. Yeah. And that's wild. I don't know if I've put that much effort into anything, <laughs> but I think it also probably speaks to how much, how important it was to you. Yeah. Well, you know, I think effort is, is relative, right? So I think mm. for me, what's interesting is that, uh, the exhaustion I feel from something like that, that kind of combines a lot of artistic disciplines that I have backgrounds in. Um, it, it was an emotional effort, but certainly for work, I, I thrive on being able to be in a more traditional filmmaking space. I like the, the stress and the, the hectic nature of a film set mm. and sort of running that. But um, I certainly feel maybe more stressed doing basic YouTuber things. Really? Yeah, I'm terrible at self-promotion. Well, it sounds like I've seen some of your stuff where you hate it. It's not that you're bad yeah. at it. It seems like you hate it. Yeah, I think I've been able to sort of channel some of my like natural disdain and self-hatred into <laughs> uh, a more or less a character that people can relate to. But certainly a lot of my natural inclinations as someone who was very othered and dark growing yeah. up, uh, never imagined that I would be um, in any sort of the sense of the word like authentic or relatable, but certainly bringing it back to BuzzFeed where I used to work, that yeah. that really flipped my entire journey on its head where suddenly I guess everything I did was considered relatable. Although that's such a opaque, vague word now to be using for anything on. But do online, you feel like but. BuzzFeed relatability? I know that uh, something that you've kind of, what word did you use? It was something, make make the content digestible. Do you, so do you feel like yeah. that was, oh no, I saw yeah, you. Yeah, no, no, it's good. Eyes. It was, um, I think it comes more naturally to others. And I think that was also a time online where you know those corporate entities as you sure. as you called them which it's true they there was that weird time even like 2014 where it was this question of is is uh buzzfeed uh versus gawker who has the soul of the internet what's the tone in which the young millennials are moving forward yeah and um you know company culture at the very least i always honor what happened with buzzfeed as they they prized diverse voices they were really sure. pushing that sort of aspect, which was fantastic. However, to sort of put a bow on every video and to sort of have to like Mr. Rogers your way out of any yeah. sort of content um, was not second nature to me. It mm -hmm. was, I, I I personally have a, a strong nihilistic viewpoint of the world. Maybe it's because I'm a Capricorn or maybe just because I'm angry inside. But I, yeah. uh, I, I certainly learned that um, your own tone or your, your negative experiences or outlooks don't, equate to being unrelatable it's just a different type of relatability okay and so it was a kind of it was a very hard tough learning ground for me to understand that um there is an elegant way to reach an audience that wants to connect to that side of you mm -hmm. uh without being a total dick you know <laughs> do you yeah. feel like so if you think of relatability while you're at buzzfeed versus relatability now that you guys are on your own mm -hmm. What, what, what's the different, the two differences or the difference between the two pieces of content? Yeah, I think that, um, one having full ownership of our company as the try guys is great. Cause on every level, we are the final gatekeepers of mm. what goes out. So should I stand as firm behind something or behind even a comment in a video I make, then, um, we can make that happen. We can make sure that people see what we want on screen. Sure. Um, 
And I think when it was with BuzzFeed, they're, they're, you know, they are a company and therefore standards and regulations are in place. So everything had a certain amount of red tape, uh, which I think it just comes with jobs. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't fault them. I would just fault uh, corporate structure. And, you know, hey, maybe one day in five years, the Try Guys company is going to be bullshitting some employees about like, you got to make yeah. this, you got to fucking take off your pants and act like a goofball or whatever. But uh, certainly I would hope that we learned enough where we keep things, yeah. uh, you in know. In three, four years, there's going to be that oh, a wave of why I left the Try Guy videos yeah, for people that you Yeah, I can't wait for that. <laughs> I would revel in that. I would find yeah. that so that, fascinating. That's when you're like, I made it. Yeah. As long as it's not like <laughs> company destroying. You're like, yeah. we did it. Yeah, no, we're. I think the other big thing is that the biggest change that happened when we left and started our company was we didn't realize, you know, everything we did at BuzzFeed was self-produced and, you know, we owned it sure. in essence of who created it um, and certainly using ourselves as the on-screen talent. Um, but we weren't aware of the uh, YouTube community at large outside of that because even as you said, at the streamies, we also felt a certain like separation from everyone sure. because we weren't sure how the corporate entities and the talents that came from there were being regarded. And that separation also reverberated through how we um, sort of uh, communicated in the comment sections or who we could see in person. We were mm -hmm. very uh, distant from it. There was an arm's length because, you know, when you work for a company, it's good to have those types of rules in place to avoid anything uh, becoming too too intimate or too personalized. Sure. Um, but when we left, then suddenly we were aware of the impact we had made and became way more in control with being uh, in direct communication with people who actually followed us or learned from us or wanted to see more from us. So I think that's been probably the greatest benefit is understanding the sort of true worth of, I think, what a lot of us do online, which is what is the impact and how is that actually helping people who are watching in some way, whether they're laughing or they're learning or connecting with me as like a gay person of color. Sure. Uh, I didn't get to read that so directly when I worked for a company. And now it's a huge part of my job to honor that and be more directly communicative with people who take their time to watch what I do. Well, that's one of the things I was going to ask and ask, and maybe it's more so now um, because you're not with BuzzFeed. What do you personally get out of creating these videos and doing the live shows and, and pretty much any extension of, of what you're putting out there. Ah, what do I get out of it? I, um, yeah, I, I, I should say that I do love performance. Mm -hmm. I do love performing. I've, I've come to very much appreciate the, the privilege I have to have people come see us perform live or watch our videos. Um, but for me, it's really become a, uh, a, a question of really, what is the impact I'm doing through story and through, in this situation, presenting myself through videos. Right. And a big part of me becoming a filmmaker and going to film school was this idea that I had a very strong perspective and a unique story that I wanted to tell that hopefully other people, regardless of if they are from my background, mm -hmm. could react to or connect with. And um, the the ways in which I can do that directly online is essentially kind of, I think, just a, a different version of that same sort of creative gift is just packaged slightly right. more in a more accessible way than say if I was to to go make a feature or, or, or TV. So yeah, I think for me, it's always making sure that what I'm putting out there is enriching a community that I want to reach and or making people even see communities I'm from differently by presenting myself as a very like honest, authentic, however dark I may be person. 
Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, kind of speaking to, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be people with your background, but sometimes also for that. Uh, and it could be kind of a, a dumb question. Um, but when it comes to representation, right, because it definitely sounds like you're so appreciative of the opportunity to be able to share a voice. Do you feel like sometimes you get locked in a box? Um, just because when I was watching some of the the podcast, it feels like, and obviously, you know, you want to share a new viewpoint, but it feels like a lot of people accidentally kind of just lock you in this box of give us only answers that relate to you being a, a gay Asian man. Yeah. Yeah, I think that comes with um, the territory of, I mean, let's be frank here, the uh, Try Guys are three straight white guys and me, the gay Asian guy. So certainly, um, and this was the same even, say, in a company structure, you feel the weight of responsibility to have to speak for those groups mm -hmm. um, because you you as the sole person, um, the sort of gatekeeper, so to speak, of those cultures um, in that product, you want people to know that they're represented. And sometimes I think, uh, and BuzzFeed was certainly very guilty of this, it could come off as preachy, it could come mm -hmm. off as feeling like you're checking off a box. Um, and the most I can hope for is that when I bring it up, it's become more naturally integrated into the conversations because very luckily, the other guys who are my best friends are clearly very open and very communicative about those issues. However, I do know that it is just a uh, fault of the context in which I'm usually portrayed in, which is, which is as the minority. Yeah. Okay. So I think that when I'm in solo situations and say if I'm doing something like expressing myself through other words of uh, of, of other modes of creative expression, um, I won't have that uh, bear that weight as much. But I wouldn't blame um, the other guys or even my situation for that. I think it's just what happens in those spaces. Mm -hmm. You bring up race in a room and you have one person of color, that person is going to <laughs> feel like they're going to have to represent everyone. Yeah. Um, the way in which they do it, I think, is very important in terms of how we discuss things these mm -hmm. days. Um, but for me, especially being in sort of a, a spotlight of sorts, uh, you also feel that you have to say things and express things with um, the confidence and the ownership and the sort of, for lack of a better term, like, fuck you if you don't agree because I have to, like, make sure that our community is heard and represented. Sure. So it, it's it's a little, like... It's a delicate dance that's, I think, very, very much, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of like minefields. I was going to say, have you, do you feel like there have been times that you stepped on a mine? Because uh, it's such an alien situation to me because no one's ever been like, well, Phil said something and in some way I'm the representative for the white community. Like no one's, <laughs> that's, yeah. not, that's not a situation I ever deal with. Yeah, no, I think it's always a, um, I'm a minefield because you... In the end, I think as uh, for me as an artist, it's it's very important for me to always express my personal perspective. But it's also um, within my uh, responsibility to look at where I'm most well equipped um, to reach the people that should or could be changed by what I'm saying or doing. And in my case, and I speak about this sometimes before I even happened to stumble into digital, mm -hmm. I was a. Uh, like run and gun through the minefield type creative. I was, um, my thesis at uh, film school was a school shooting dance musical. Wow. And it was playing with these different terms about who politically empowers creating this and who at home is creating these types of monsters. And it was, uh, you know, we screened it. It happened to be screened two weeks after Virginia Tech happened, um, oh, wow. but I'd already finished it and the professors right. decided to screen it. And that was my first like audience um, experience where I had half the audience booing. And it was- sure. I, I kind of felt like, oh, this is my lot in life, right? I have um, 
a very like no holds barred creative approach. And maybe this is how I will be as a filmmaker. And then when I started in digital, it, if it sort of like 180 everything where I was forced to take all of those perspectives and views and feelings and see how can I, how can I say or, or package it in a way where everyone will listen to it or at least accept, um, the beginning of my argument. I say it best is like, if you're at a party with strangers, um, before I was probably the person who got drunk and just screamed about something and, you know, half the people <laughs> love me sure. and then half the people would hate me, which I did a lot when I was in college, um, in real life. Uh, <laughs> and then at Buzzfeed, it's more, you go in and you are in a suit and you're smiling at everyone and you are saying very like digestible things, but they happen to like, you know, slide in a little bit of your perspective, but certainly they want you to, uh, be palatable. And so now coming back to what I feel like is what I'm responsible for within my career at this point is um, sort of combining the two. Um, I certainly respect and 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 can never do what a lot of people do online, which is represent uh, those who are still running through the minefields and like you know being the banner wavers for communities that need those voices. Sure, but I've managed to get into homes and be entrusted with someone's grandma in the Midwest and someone a, a baby in Asia. Like people are watching what we do, and they can connect with me on a, a very basic human level. So if I have that um, that audience, then I, I certainly feel that my carefulness is not really, it's less about my perspective and more about um, the grace in which I sort of sure. communicate it. And I want to make sure that that audience that has connected with me, regardless of their background, um, can at least like consider hearing me out. It sounds like you're, the way that you're thinking of it, whether it be kind of planned or not, that it was kind of like Trojan horsing acceptance or understanding of something different rather yeah. than because that's something that I've, I heard you you've talk about was you didn't bash people that were online kind of being righteous right and kind of taking yeah. taking swings because you know I think right now is still a pivotal time of change and mm -hmm. pushback and it's been really interesting but hearing you explain it that way it gives me even like a little bit more understanding. Um, but do you feel like that was kind of happenstance just because of the way that you were initially introduced and then kind of revealing more and more of yourself after people kind of just understood you as a person rather than this, this thing that you hadn't shared? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I think that, um, a lot of it feels like it's happenstance, but then I, I, I take a big step back and think about what my actual background is. Mm -hmm. And I grew up as a, one of the only Asian families when I was a kid in a small Texan town. And I was, you know, raised Presbyterian. Uh, my parents kind of raised me in a more conservative Korean household. And I certainly was the only uh, gay kid who couldn't, uh, who could still hide being gay. So sure. there was a, um, a certain amount of, of a me versus what I considered these like either opposing viewpoints or societal structures that I had to survive within. And then certainly when I, when I went to college, I had the, the flip side where I retaliated and all of my like pent up rage yeah. came out through myself as an artist, which I still value that. But the navigation, um, based on not only survival, but also to get myself to the next higher place for people to also see me as someone who was valid and as someone who could also be competitive. Right. Um, took a lot of, uh, social, um, I don't, wouldn't want to call it graces or tact because I don't think people should feel like they should do that. But I had to be very empathetic to a lot of people that I probably would never have wanted to listen to in the first place. Um, but I think that it's important for me and I don't speak for other people, 
of color especially, for me to hear others out to know if there's a way that I can maybe change their mind if I really strongly believe something is for the better good. The best example I can say about that is my own family, where you have, you know, parents who will vote for Trump, or you have close loved ones who have very strong opposing ideological views, say even about my sexuality. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of situations where you should cut people out like that. But there are also other situations where maybe there is some fence sitting and maybe they just need a little bit of support in their own journey in the right direction. And so it's it's a longer grind and it's a much harder uh, <laughs> harder thing to do and it takes a lot of patience. But mm -hmm. um, I've had some success in getting people to accept me more fully as I am, which I think was attributed partially because I was more patient with hearing about where they came from. And, you know, I think that it's tough because these days we see how sort of the online environment and the ways in which we communicate each up with each other has been so sort of we, we've been pushed to the extremes in a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. And I think that the the grayness in which I think most people end up really uh, socializing and the way in which we interact in real life is lost when it comes to how you you speak online. And so. I don't know. I think the most I try to do is represent a little more of that that gray, uncertain area with the way I'm portraying myself and the way that I speak, uh, because I, I think that's more accurate to the way that people are in real sure. life. And I think that once you find out something about someone that is just completely like it's a no go for you, you should not be associated with this person then you need to not be around that. But I don't know. I think that we've we've lost a certain amount of giving each other chances. And I certainly would never have worked with the other three Try Guys had we had not been the only guys in the office who were willing to be in women's underwear for that first video. Well, I was going to say, I think that when you're talking about like the best way to get people together, yeah. right, especially if it's going to be we're going to try and do interesting stuff is come up with this thing that people would think is is wild or different or just in a different category than just like I'm tasting different teas video yeah. and who's going to say yes. Right. That's yeah. like that, especially if, if I don't know how many people were working at the company, but yes is the most important thing to say out here when it comes to, I think, a creative idea. So the fact that it one, it shows, I think, hunger and openness. Right. Yeah. And so what's well, there wasn't like a fifth try guy. Right. No, or, no. <laughs> one I think it was, was like hunger, openness and probably a certain yeah. amount of, of vanity. I'm sure <laughs> we're like, yeah, I'll be on camera. I'll take off my pants and put on some Victoria's Secret. Easy, done. Yeah, but I mean, I think that was the the magic sort of yeah. element in which we sort of cast ourselves, which was we were just so implicitly open to experiencing something new and then kind of making fun of ourselves, which sure. is, I think, the bread and butter of the brand. Um, but yeah, I'd, I would never have even really, I think, become best friends with them without what we've been through as, as business partners and as mm -hmm. collaborators, um, because they were not necessarily the people I would be immediately drawn to in a, a general set setting, which they know that too. They were always like thinking I was too intimidating to talk to really, or off-putting because I was, you know, very much like constantly, you know, pushing and talking about, you know, racial issues and, and LGBT, sure. especially in the videos I was first producing. Um, but that's kind of a good example of you kind of never know sometimes with, with yeah. people in a real life situation, if you're going to get along with them or not. That's that's really interesting to wonder, like how many people you could get along with fantastically, but you just haven't given yourself a reason to have that first thirty minute conversation. Yeah, uh, to kind of go back to when you were talking about uh, how angry you kind of were when you moved out here. Mm -hmm. um, are you glad that you weren't born like ten or fifteen years later? 
Because I, I think about that every now and then. I'm like, I wouldn't have a career if, if the stuff that I was sharing on MySpace was being shared on TikTok and was being shared on, on Twitter and YouTube. Yeah, it's strange because even we saw the change in that when we worked at BuzzFeed when, when we came in. It yeah. was a uh, producer's job. We were behind the scenes talent. Mm. And then within the four years, four to five years we were there, it became clear that people were coming in for uh, the hopes of being on-screen talent. It was a distinct shift that happened, That's I think. interesting, yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, there's a certain amount of, I don't know, I, I don't envy younger people, because I'm 33, so. Same, yeah. yeah. Oh, 33 exactly? Yeah. Oh, awesome, when's your birthday? December 1st. December, I'm January 18th. All right, I'll hit it first, I'll yeah, let you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't really understand uh, the weight in which I think kids these days value their self-worth through social oh, yeah. media until I started experiencing it myself. Cause I was like not a social media person before I joined uh, Buzzfeed. I, I started all of my, my uh, platform um, sort of participation once I did it just for the job. Sure. But um, yeah, I think, I think I, I was probably just born in the right time to sort of feed a, a different, slightly different era, I think of self-loathing. Which is not through the approval of other people. Yeah, I had just the classic in-your-face like bullying and whoever just didn't like me, didn't like me, and sure. I had to deal with that mainly because of me being both what I am uh, as mm. a as a um, queer person color, but really also because I was just a weird person. I was a weird kid. But then you could go home and it wouldn't follow. Yeah, you. I could go home and yeah. you know, and then deal with my own family, which is like yeah, a whole other thing. thing. Yeah, but you know, it's it's uh it's it's interesting because it's both an escape for for kids and then mm -hmm. also a huge burden and i think that that's why in the end having these diverse voices uh cut through the noise as the cup <laughs> says uh is is good because i i think that you know i recently joined tiktok on a whim okay because i was just like okay why not because I, I i I, I have to catch myself when i feel like oh i'm the stodgy old guy because I, I refused to join it i was just like no yeah but you have like a you have like a sense of cool about you i that, don't know that, like if i if i go on there i gotta i gotta up it i gotta be the weird old guy i, I think i was very fascinated with how this platform was actually mm -hmm. um because what made me do it was one i i take halloween very seriously in this past year past halloween i was uh what we call an ajaman korean culture which is like the the auntie Okay. So every culture has like an auntie look and Asians have, <laughs> if you drive through K-Town, you'll see sure. it's like the visor with the mismatched floor prints and the umbrella aversion to sunlight. And <laughs> I was in like full prosthetics mm -hmm. and a suit and I was kind of dancing around and I thought, oh, this is bizarre and like just sort of like low quality enough for me. Someone just put a cell phone and put totally. it on something like TikTok, um, which has the echoes of things like Vine and Musical.ly. Mm -hmm. um, but what's interesting is when you're on the app now, you see the sort of the democratizations at its current state a little better because I'll constantly be running across people with like zero followers. Oh and yeah. It's, it's interesting, interesting because I'm like, oh, that's cool. I like to see people I would never have seen. But certainly, like any other platform and like entertainment at larger media, the 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 biggest stars are how should I put this in a politically correct way? They're like traditionally attractive white teenagers. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. there's just a lot of like <laughs> yeah. hot white teens on this on the app, which is like more power to them, but certainly those types of moments make me realize, oh, that's why you need 
these alternative voices and faces just to be sure. out there on any level, social media or on the big screen, um, just because uh, we're still in, a, in an era where there is a reason why people are fighting for those spaces, because it's just not what people, especially sure. in this country or even globally, uh, are immediately inclined to watch. Yeah. Specifically with TikTok, I'm just wondering... I feel like there are people that kind of like started out as a joke. There are people that start out with kind of every now and then, but it feels like the the people that are the biggest have an output that I don't understand. And I say that as someone that puts out like a 20 minute video every day. Yeah. Um, it looks like it's just the constant fight to not fall off where people are uploading three, four things a day. Yeah. Um, even though it's hard to tell cause they don't, they don't, I think they put the date on it, which is really weird. And I feel like it lends itself to people stealing content. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, it's one of those things I keep, I think I've talked about it for about a month and a half. I still haven't done it just because I'm going to do three things and then never use it again. I would suggest maybe just joining to look at it. That's, oh, so no, I, yeah. I, I look through it yeah. and that's where, and so that's why I like, I have a general understanding. I've heard the same fucking 10 seconds of about nine different songs, like just over and over. Yeah. But there's something that's it's kind the of the same fucking songs. Yeah. But it, there's something that's like, I like when it's like someone, it, it feels almost like this group project where it's like okay everyone's kind of copying this meme and yes. then everyone someone pivots and then everyone follows that thing and yeah what sucks is like the people that change the whole ecosystem usually just get ripped off by the people that you just talked about yeah <laughs> um but yeah but you might be onto something there what which makes it currently unique which is that the the stealing or ripoff mm -hmm. accusations that would plague something like twitter youtube instagram even um doesn't really exist on tiktok because that's so much of it's based on trends so sure. I think they find the originator of a trend, but right now it does feel more community based because it's just more someone creates the trend and then it's your personal interpretation or you just putting your face or value into it mm -hmm. and then everyone loves it. So it's interesting because it does go against this idea of ownership. Sure. I mean, the whole app is like copywritten music, so I don't know when that <laughs> is going to get into legal weeds. Um, and it's owned by China, so I don't even know like what that even has to, well, I, what I, the implications of that I, is I either. just like that I get to be able to talk about it because there are like investigations into whether uh, yeah. it's like this, this. I don't know. I, I'm also, again, uh, bringing back to my core beliefs. I'm pretty, I, I think that most everything has a sinister underbelly sure. or there's, there, there's something there that I don't quite trust, but, um, just in, I, I'm trying to like take a step back from that and see what is the value for you know, young people and older mm -hmm. people like using this, what do they like about it? And that's what's more fascinating to me is the sort of sol the social um, value, the currency that people are getting out of that. And yeah, the sharing is, is I think, what's particularly unique about that. People don't seem to be um, up in arms about well, it's starting or owning something. Sometimes, just because it feels like if you go to the comment section, which I don't think a lot of like a lot of the casual users do that are just mm -hmm. kind of flipping, you'll see people calling it out, but it doesn't stop anything because no. I think most people, because it's a five, 10 second piece of content that most people aren't like, <laughs> I need to share my thoughts on this. Yeah. Oh, it's because you can literally, it, it download lists. It. Yeah. Oh. You can download it, but it lists on the bottom, the music used or sure. the track used by a user. So then you can click on it and then use their track. So that's why you hear the same song every time right. because they're not like independently downloading it. They're literally just lifting it from another user's TikTok. I feel like it, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see kind of uh, how many SoundCloud artists kind of blow up because of because a lot of the oh, clips, that would be nice. a lot of the clips yeah. I've never heard of. And then there will be some channel that features the artist. And I'm like, oh, OK. And yeah. so I don't know. It'll, it, it would be interesting to see if anything happens with the, the music industry, especially with 
how fucked uh, the copyright claim system is on YouTube. Have you guys had to deal with anything like that? Or do yeah. you, you know the way to navigate it? I, I haven't had to because I've never really, I don't <laughs> sing five seconds of a song. I yeah. Don't, you know. I mean, I think that's something where from the corporate angle, you just kind of have to understand what their business is, which is they're just mm -hmm. going to strike anything that has even a second of something owned by Warner Brothers music. Sure. Um, so we avoid that just completely. completely. And we have a couple of uploads that clearly are like live performances, like when we do VidCon performances that are uh, pastiches of tons of copywritten material. Sure. But for the audience, we'll release it, we'll know we'll get a strike, and we'll know that that money funnels towards those companies. Sure. But that's kind of like a, we get it, but the biggest thing is just, I don't know, you have to unfortunately get into those, invest in a, a copyright-free library and use those. But um, yeah, I don't know. The, you do always see there's a disconnect, I think, between um, the realities and weirdly, this ties back into something like BuzzFeed, the reality is of how business works mm -hmm. at large um, and the, I think, spiritual grassroots feel of what social media and places like YouTube is, which is user reliant, user dominated and should be servicing the people who are brave or willing enough to put themselves on. And then once you get into monetization, you get into, you know, why X company is, is doing this or not censoring this or doing this, then it, it's you look at the paperwork from a business perspective and you're like, okay, I get it. But unfortunately right. I think it, it will always kind of go against the spirit of what it should be, which is let users be themselves. So it's tough. I, I always just think like, I don't know. I, I understood enough from having been sort of born digitally under a company structure sure. that there have always been rules and regulations in place. Um, but certainly I think if I had been born 15 years later and I'm a, upstart young person of color who's queer on YouTube, I'd be much more angry about a lot of stuff that happens. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, yeah. Well, because we have a, we certainly as like creators who are considered like, um, I guess, I don't even want to call myself a legacy creator because that sounds crazy. <laughs> I consider like Jenna Marbles and like, sure, yeah. Uh, Ryan Higa and, and all of them. Uh, but, you know, I guess we've been online for like five to six years at this point. Yeah. yeah. So, especially with how fast a lot of people uh, kind of burn out or disappear. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, I've always kind of referred to people as like the OG creators. But, yeah, um, but yeah it is. It's interesting because the people that I'm talking about, half the time, no one even knows who the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah. Isn't that and strange? Then, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, no, I was going to ask you about people, but, uh, cause you don't know like the Renettos, Bohemes, stuff like that. No, no. no. Okay. Lonely Girl 15? Were yes. You, okay. Yes. So you were Lonely in that space 15. at that yes. time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to see how it's changed. And then it, it feels like, I do wonder what the next, this next generation is going to be. If it's going to be kind of more traditionally attractive, like the popular kids. Yeah. Right. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Sure. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I think that there's a certain, um, I think when we look back, and this is great, we're talking because I think BuzzFeed and the Voxes and the Vices and the every single company that was part of that sort of uh, branded ad, ad media bubble that eventually burst this past year, um, it was a very interesting time because prior to that, the OG YouTubers were in this space that was very like Wild West mm -hmm. and certainly like you get on and, you know, the... Uh, even even trolls weren't organized. You know, it was like, oh, there's the troll in the corner and I don't know who this person is and who am I chatting with on it? Everyone's found each other. Everyone's found each other. Now we have communities and the viral space is like, like many countries. And I sure. think that when I started online, it was that interesting time where everyone was trying to figure out, one, what was digital in relation to traditional platforms. Mm -hmm. Two, uh, what, is there a way to corporatize personalities? Which we found out, not really. Mm -hmm. um, and then three, uh, 
can we sort of see if these um, the democratization of the space continues where you can find these I mean, I think everyone is kind of a little weird online, which is great. I yeah. think that's the thing I've I've learned to appreciate meeting a lot of other YouTubers. But um, can you find these like sparks of interesting, diverse, cool, strange, uh, sometimes controversial people that you would never have come across? And now I think it's much it's increasingly harder to do that, uh, namely because YouTube itself is a business, mm -hmm. and certainly uh, you want uh, your business as a platform that's now competitive with streaming services and film and TV to have its marquee players. You want, you know, you don't have the golden age of cinema where they hired, you know, Marilyn for X amount of money because she guaranteed box office for no reason. Like that mm -hmm. was part of how that business ran so well. And I think YouTube is currently kind of in that golden age of cinema model where you have like these, these like sort of, I don't know, monopolies over verticals even yeah. with certain, um, figures and stars, I would even say Try Guys are probably one of those in the mm -hmm. comedy space. And they are bankable. They are uh, clearly have huge followings. And there's, I mean, I, I think about them like, there's no reason certain videos should always automatically get 50 million views when they're not great. I mean, I love all the creators usually, but it's just kind of become, okay, you give the money, you go see Tom Cruise in the 90s. And <laughs> yeah, of course the money's, movie's gonna make money. Sure. So my hope is that I, I think in the next generation, if we're following like my old like uh, cinema critique studies classes, that it goes into like the seventies where the studios sort of broke down a little bit because they were like, wait a minute, we got to focus on finding new, cool, crazy people. And then you had the Spielbergs and the Scorsese's sort of popping up and Kubrick running around doing whatever yeah. the fuck he did. And uh, I, I'm hoping that we start like, since we see this sort of like all encompassing business aspect kind of taking over what the digital platforms are, that they start prizing this idea that we can use that power to find and uplift things that will actually push the medium forward as opposed to relying on things that we see as already popular and will guarantee views or money for ads. That's you know? interesting. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. I mean, it's, it's definitely, I, I think something you touched on earlier, there is, there's, there's something for everyone. There's pockets all over the place because I, I feel like it's just going to get more and more corporate. I mean, every day I look and I find some kind of like small time creator that has like tweaked their content and they're all of a sudden they're signed to CAA yeah. and then they're kind of getting funneled through the system. And, and I, I don't know, I think I used to fully hate that. Um, but I, th I think kind of even looking at how do you make something sustainable? How do you make it so a person doesn't burn out like so many uh, creators that started around my time and even six years after mm -hmm. where all of a sudden you have this system that helps, but there, I don't know, there, there's something that makes it feel less than authentic. And I think that's why there'll always be uh, massive success on the other end, right? People yeah. that are seen as kind of the outsiders or the people that'll say kind of like, fuck the system. Even if all of a sudden that's like almost, it feels like it maybe takes away to call it a shtick, yeah. but that there's always going to be that, that place, right? Cause even you saying that you have like that super cynicism that you have a very dark place in your head. Uh, do you consume any kind of content that that feeds that at all? Or is that something that you, nowadays you kind of try and keep at bay? Yeah, I mean, I guess... As much as anyone fucking can? Yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm certainly not too into deep diving in like the, the dark web stuff. But I, I think that I, I certainly appreciate and have the core personality of someone who, who likes to be constantly challenged. Hmm. And I think that I find a lot of what is currently typically viral, very unchallenging. 
Does that make sense? I I, I find. Um, would you say that part of that ever relates or like could be attributed like to try guy content? I think that, yeah, I, I, I would, I would be remiss to not even say taking it back to when I worked for Buzzfeed and what then we are as try guys. I think that we certainly have a brand that in the end is always focused on positivity and, um, being open to cultures. But I also think that that in itself, um, once you do something so many times, uh, it becomes, uh, once something becomes a rule, you know, a personal rule, Okay, I think that it immediately uh, should, one, incite criticism uh, and reflection and also uh, be more, be more, have more oversight about where is this actually pushing conversation or what is this doing in regards to enriching lives. Mm -hmm. I think there is a totally fine, and this is what I call like, Network TV, I think it's great if you just service something over and over and over, like Big Bang Theory or whatever, sure. that like scratches that itch. And I think that the the like core of a lot of businesses, that's what you do, that's the transaction, come here, feel good, and then mm -hmm. go away. And I think Try Guys knows what that is. But um, then you'll have things like, I guess my coming out video, mm -hmm. where I didn't even want to put it on our platform. I honestly oh, really? said, I'm just gonna do it, and maybe I'll do it in short film circuit, maybe I'll just do it because I ah. need to do it, and I'll like, I don't know, put it somewhere. But I, it, it was one of those moments where I said, I just have to do this because yeah. I, I just need to get it out of me. And um, the other guys were clearly very much attuned to know, like, we need to honor what you want to do and you are part of this platform and we're the ones defining our own channel. So my biggest fear was it's going to be too off of that, like, the thing that I consider, like, scratching that main itch for our audience. Well, it is always hard because I feel like the system in general punishes you deviating from what you normally do. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and it can have long-lasting impacts on, like, based totally. off of one or two videos. So do you feel like when you guys make the content that mm -hmm. it's this balancing act of you're making the <laughs> the the big superhero movie so that you can, to, to like, that's that's what people kind of know you for, so then you can kind of make an art house, art house piece? Yeah, I think... I think that's part of it. I think that sure. a lot of it is whatever can make you support yourself in the end. And everyone's going to find this, whether support they're yourself as far as money monetarily. Or, okay. Yeah. Um, they'll find this in any business they're in, particularly in the arts, whether it be being a waiter or mm -hmm. working for a company that you don't necessarily agree with all their perspectives or, <laughs> or uh, doing something like the same type of video online. Mm -hmm. um, you need to be aware that Unfortunately, so many things come down to you being able to survive and your means. Sure. And ideally that will help fund, uh, for lack of a better term, like passion projects or things that you feel like are going to be uh, riskier. And I think that's a constant struggle for anyone who's balancing art and com commerce. I think that a big tip is finding the art, joy, or challenging aspects of the things that you know will help you in regards to that like main bulk of work for try guys, it, it is our traditional tried type video. Sure. Um, finding ways to, for us in particular, it's like we are all like weird comedy people in the end. So we just always want to just be as, we've been be, been really fucking weird. So if you watch this, the videos like now compared to when we were at Buzzfeed, yeah. it's the spirit is still there, but we're just, we're just batshit crazy. We're just <laughs> fucking weirdos. And I think that's Well, I imagine, you know, good. Did, did you, get told no a lot at uh, at BuzzFeed compared well I mean obviously compared to now it's gonna yeah. be completely a different world because you, you're just gonna fuel each other no I think they were they were also very much in the like, boat at the it. time of like we, we need to follow and see like how they were more I think against the idea of even talent being face forward well I think it's probably yeah. because 
there's a realization that it's like it's hard to hold on to people. Exactly. Um, especially yeah. like you can make. I don't know. I think one of the main thing. I'm like, I'm glad that for a little bit I was part of a, a big corporate structure, no matter how fucking depressed I was at the time. Yeah. Because it gave me a look on the other side. Because then being kind of like the leader of a, some sort of corporate system, you realize, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. So like some of that, I was being an asshole because I didn't understand uh, the problems that management was having to deal with. Totally. Um, it's yeah. a fucking nightmare. You know, it's a it's a it's a nightmare to be part of a system that has so much. I mean, every corporate structure is bureaucratic to a certain degree and but it's the reality of how um large businesses function i always have this quote i say is i can tell when someone hasn't been physically punched in the face just by the way they act or carry themselves sure. um but i also feel like i should <laughs> wait so question have i been punched in the face i feel like you have i haven't really i i say i want to but i get very no, you scared. have a certain you have a certain um i don't know a certain openness about you but also like i feel like you could hold down in a fight <laughs> We'll or see. am I totally wrong? We'll see. The, the I like that you look to the him. team like I fight them. <laughs> oh, he would get the shit beat out of him. Aww. Luke, I would get hurt. Oh, that's oh, he's shaking his head. Yeah. He doesn't want to answer the question, which that gives away your answer. Well, I think I also can tell when someone hasn't been punched down uh, occupationally. Does that make sense? Okay. And that's another fine. type of I think what uh, sobering experience as a human, which is like the idea of working under a company structure mm. or as I was for many years being a waiter, you know, or everyone should do it at least once. Everyone should like, do something like that at least yeah. once. And I think that's one other, one other, I think like kind of uh, unfortunate aspect of becoming something like a YouTuber or something is that a lot of, a lot of these kids are coming up without having an experience in which they are given oh, restrictions yeah. or boundaries. So I think entitlement is a word that's thrown out a lot, but I think that that, is certainly an aspect of someone that without real life uh, sort of presenting that aspect of yourself of entitlement in real life never goes well. Like people can smell it off of you so mm -hmm. quickly. It's fine if you're in a space where everyone loves you and praises you. Yeah. But, um, you know, that I think is just unfortunately a harsh reality yeah. of the world, especially when it comes to, to businesses, to um, trying to like even do anything where you're trying to move up a ladder. That is when the weight of how, unfortunately, the real world works comes down on you. Mm -hmm. And that's when you have a lot of things where I think in some of like YouTube's defense and large companies, sometimes I think it's like, unfortunately, impossible problems that they're trying to appease everyone. Oh, at that point? Yeah. Because yeah, then you're crazy. just like, well, unfortunately, sometimes you need to be like, okay, I get it. This is something that you can't make everyone happy. Yeah. But, I think I think I definitely, for especially for YouTube, uh, in the past, I was kind of raged swing my fists everywhere and then as which I've i appreciated seen, <laughs> yeah i think a lot of us but, appreciate that but yeah. but at the same time like especially now like i look at situations where kids kids directed content is going to get fucked over yeah no one knows how hard youtube fought for uh for creators against the ftc yeah but still when january hits a lot of the re reactions even though it is the ftc that's doing it it's going to be fuck youtube you're yeah. throwing us under the bus whereas it's just it's such a hard, I can't even imagine, like they got fined $170 million, which yes, for Google isn't that much, Yeah. but it's an impossible situation. But when you were talking about um, kind of being a server, I feel like, or having to be a part of like a smaller system, I think there's something of having to bear witness to someone treating you like shit or like nothing that I think trains you to know how to deal with people in the future. Cause you're obviously not going to want to inflict that on someone else, but also 
these like 14, 15 year olds that are having instant success on TikTok. Like yeah. I wouldn't wish on fucking anyone. The reason that I still have what I have is I failed so many fucking times. That's right. Yeah. And I had nothing for a really long time. Right. And so to, to just kind of be thrust into or bred into success, I feel like is, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to feel bad for someone, but it's, it's going to be a, a really big problem. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. Cause I think that I personally think that some of the best artists or entertainers are those who clearly um, are still wondering why they're there or how they got there. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's nothing worse than I think there's a few exceptions, which I think are like action stars or something where clearly you got to be muscle. <laughs> you got to work for those muscles yeah. like the rock. I'm Dedication. Like, yeah, I want confidence, but I think. I want to see someone constantly experiencing this like existential crisis of why am I here? Mm. What gave me the privilege to have this audience? And what am I actually contributing when I'm not off helping solve uh, things with science or even like building something with my hands? What am I doing with something now that's immediately accessible to everyone, which is a video platform? Mm -hmm. um, what am I contributing to society at large? What am I even contributing to the one subscriber I have who really cares deeply about what I'm doing or what I'm going through. And I think that's something that keeps me up constantly, you know, because that's the things that first drove me away from ever considering doing anything digital. And now it's the things that keep me in the digital sort of pool. Sure. Which is like, you then find that the impact you can have uh, in this, these types of spaces is so monumental today. But I think it's it needs to still bear some weight of responsibility. And only that can be determined by the person putting out that content. And what you're hitting on, I think, is we are now in an age where I think young kids who are coming up are lacking uh, some sort of like uh, reproach or any sort of uh, anything outside of the give and take the reward of social media sure. um, to value what their work is. Well, especially also because it's such an emotionally significant time, yeah. right? Just because a lot of my... Whether it be something like like the my favorite kind of music, my favorite movies, shows, that's obviously affected uh, the relationship that I had with friends and family, but also worth because at that time, you know, right, I was going to school. I'd always, I think, since I was fifteen, I'm trying to remember. It's fourteen, fifteen. I just know that there was like special paperwork so I could work at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, I always had some sort of job, and it kind of trains you up. And I just don't. I really like. <sighs> Getting your worth from social media at that age, I don't know what happens when you inevitably lose it, like 90% of them will, Yeah. right? Because it's not, it's not, and it's such, I mean, it was something you touched on of not only the bullying, but the, you can see the numbers are the main source of value of this person's the most successful person at my school, mm -hmm. right? On TikTok, make me more famous or fuck this person, or it's just, it's, it's really vicious at times. Yeah, the, but then again, even hearing us now, I wonder if we took a step back from ourselves and we said, oh, are we just... Oh, um, younger me would fucking right, love it. Are, are we... Lo younger me would fucking yeah, love it. I are was, we like the old men on the porch with our, our oh, rocking chairs that. saying oh, like, I am. what... You might not be. I But am. you know, even at this point though, we are uh, considered, I guess, more well-versed than the average 30-something-year-old <laughs> in social media. For this specific thing, yeah. What if to give, I guess, like Gen Zers more credit, what if this is like just a language that is now forever part of humanity, which is the commerce yeah. of social media. And maybe we as the first like harbingers of it, like had to deal a lot with 
the recourse of this valuation that's very abstract, but maybe their their fluency in it is going to grow into maybe. something that is a little more maybe like maybe they'll have their own way of dealing with that by perfecting the language in certain aspects where it's not as not as like deeply ingrained with this idea of success or self-worth. Sure. Because I'm I'm sure in the future social media will still be there. Maybe it's going to become, I, I hope in the next few generations can become a war against AI or robots because that'll be, I'm so sad I'm missing that because <laughs> that's, that's what you're like. Yeah, oh, you know, and I know the best robots will be like East Asian looking and I can like maybe pass because I'm oh, no. very bad at human emotions. But no, I, I, I think I always, I'm always such a, my own devil's advocate, which I think is a good place to be in my head yeah. and think like, yeah, what maybe, maybe there are kids out there who are really just kind of, they're born into it. They're on their fucking iPhones at three mm-hmm. and maybe they just, their minds are just wired slightly differently. We had, we're interesting cause we're, I guess like early cusp gen wires, like millennials, Millennial, yeah. first millennials. Um, so we, uh, work, we grew up in the shift. So we had the dial up up until now. Sure. So we, our, <laughs> our whole, um, mode is adaptability. This mm-hmm. idea of like, how do I adapt? Like this has to compute. I need to like change and shift and everything is like, I think we feel the weight of, um, needing to, I don't know. Everything has to have the weight of revolution for us mm-hmm. um, because we constantly were evolving. And now that things I think are have like more set rules with how the world is with this social currency online, I think Gen Z might have, I don't know, being born into something is so much easier. That is in, well, that is yeah. interesting that because they, they've been able to kind of witness what the, the downfalls, they get to see the, the successes and failures. Yeah, that is interesting. So maybe it is one of those things where it's where uh, we or me yeah. are not giving uh, enough credit. That you know, said, I, I do still think that there's going to be some notable burnouts. Yeah, I think for sure, for sure. Um, but what I, what what the other interesting thing is with them being so well versed in social media and uh, being so so wired in, um, they have such a such a even though it's through their phone, they they have such a wider experience of different personalities and backgrounds, even people watching now or people who watch me across social media, they're like, there's a gay Asian man from Texas telling his story. They see me when they're kids. Mm -hmm. So their knowledge of everything is, is more, it's, it's more well-rounded in terms of cultural exposure. So you're finding that instead of like how I think millennials, um, Gen Yers have to like, we feel like we did kind of really fight at everything. Mm. Um, I notice even on TikTok, like they'll call each other out on things because they're aware that the hot white teenagers are still just hot white teenagers who are popular because they're hot white teenagers. You know, there's an awareness there that is just sort of like they accept it, they're lived in, but they're not like cool with it. You know, that's interesting because yeah. I, I I get the idea of being so interconnected and seeing things that are different than if you kind of just like looked around your town. Yeah. Right. That that can kind of expand, but it does feel easier than ever. And I think that it, it's something that we're seeing of it's it's never been easier than ever to go in your own bubble, yeah. find your own bubble. I mean, like when, when we were kind of talking about <laughs> everyone found themselves, right? It still happens. I think we're just, I don't know. It, it, for, for me, it kind of just boils down to what's the percentage? What, what are the, pe- what's the percentage of younger people that are seeing the world now that are going to just go like, yes, I just want to find other people that are like me yeah. or I want to experience something different. And I think that that comes mm. down in the end to a, not a generational question, but just a individual, how shitty of a person are you? Right. <laughs> and, and that's a, that's an age old thing that every generation can, can relate to. Right. Okay. You're just going to have shitty people that, you know, that want to congregate with other shitty people and share shitty backwards views. Mm. You know, I think that's just, I think that'll be what it is. But I think as, as we, like people our age have like adapted this idea of like wokeness, you know, like, oh, and 
as I say, revolutionizing everything. We're just like, oh, now I'm woke. And now this person's awkwardly woke or trying to be woke. I assume and I hope that this younger generation who's growing up in this exposure and in this dialogue are awake or should be awake. And I was like, just you saying you know, the word. That's the thing is just you saying the word. Some people are going to jump on and be like, reaction. yeah, or, yeah. or just be like, I fucking hate that. I mean, I yeah. even kind of talked about on the show um, where it's like sometimes it does feel like the woke Olympics. Yeah. Right. Where there's like a competition and, and then everyone's kind of taking shots at each other. And it's just mm -hmm. because there is kind of that rage rather than going like, well, this is. <laughs> This is the difference, but it's also not that person's job to to feel like they have to educate people. I don't know. No. It's a landscape that I just, uh, it's why I, I always pass the question off to people because I'm just sitting fucking confused in my room sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think, again, we're leaps and bounds away from full equality for so many different marginalized groups, sure. but I would assume that people who have access to the internet and who watch people like us and creative content online have the base exposure and knowledge to so many communities that my hope is that at least in the middle schools and the high schools that they would be able to to recognize and call out uh injustice when they see it and you see them organizing more than i mean even march for lives is a great example like mm. there's a certain i think um collective identity that i think will eventually sort of uh hopefully propel the out outliers that are trying to take everyone down more to the the fringes sure but you never know, because we're in a place now where I'm, I wasn't even expecting us to be this, you know, volatile with each other. Mm. So I think it's, I think uh, there was a, there was an Obama clip that like went viral the other day where he was, he talked about like, it's not the most beneficial thing in the world to just say like, you're woke and just attack people online. Yeah. And it was interesting. Well, two things. One. <laughs> I forgot how much I enjoy him speaking. Oh, where yeah. It was just like, oh, eloquence. Everything's going to be OK. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, two, it was definitely interesting just to, to hear it just because I don't know. I feel like a lot of authoritative voices. It's those people are insane. Those people are insane. Yeah. Right. And so just to hear someone go like people make mistakes. Some people say some stupid shit. Everyone's got like most likely has love for their family, right? There's all these things that tie us together, but I don't know, maybe it's just cause I talk about the worst of the world. And I think that you, yeah. get, you get, you guys get to, to entertain the world. Uh, although I feel like you guys probably do more living. I am more in my, no, no, my I room. think, I think it's all in the end. Again, I, I think more about what the, what the conversation you start is mm. and being sensitive to that and being aware that your contribution with your strengths is feeding something that's hopefully somewhat similar, which is just trying to make people feel closer to each other, right? Right. And I think that, um, I don't know, I think the one thing that I've, I, I, I talk quite objectively about a lot of these like social sort of circumstances that we found ourselves in. Um, but one thing, especially for like young listeners and viewers, like very young ones who, um, I saw this happening even when I was at Buzzfeed where you, you see this class of uh, like, I didn't, asked to be born to the majority i'm not why is everyone attacking me like mm. this these all these arguments is um everyone has access to reading about history sure everyone should be able to see that it has only been within really the last decade that people are writing their own um histories whether it be women or people of color or queer communities or um you know this is something where it's so new that it wasn't written or dictated from a white male straight sure 
Catholic or Protestant perspective, you can you can name it, um, that this like far this like retaliation that people are feeling to go against it is we see this as like this huge like moment in time where everything is is this upsurge of all of these minorities and everything. But there's been so many instances in the past where people have like still crushed those people. Mm-hmm. And because we are still considered in every sense of the word a minority. So what I urge for people is to understand the that there is still power imbalance institutionally mm-hmm. um, on everything, even when it comes to something as small as I say about like popular people on TikTok, that's a cultural imbalance. Sure. And um, there's nothing wrong with defending yourself, but you also have to be aware in in the in the fact that the the fight you bring to something is going to be feeding either an institutionalized power structure that has always been there since since Western uh, civilization decided to explore other continents <laughs> and you know the roman empire was like oh i'm gonna go fuck everybody up but um <laughs> or you can still be yourself and live a very fulfilled open life but listen to this really new exciting age we could be living in where i feel like so much of my own potential anger and uh harsh statements online have been have been this feeling of there's no way to reach the other side. Therefore, I have to be, it's no longer my my responsibility to handhold people. Right. I need to um, retaliate and lash as hard as they they have done to me or my people since sure. the dawn of millennia. So it's that feeling of, I, I think about that divide in the discourse where I think some of us are a little too far gone, but I think kids these days have like such a strong opportunity to not treat one another in that sort of like high contrast way from the beginning. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it solves bullying or people spotting their differences in the playground, but that immediate alignment with the dumb shit we adults say sometimes, whether you're like, oh, I'm far right or I'm uh, far left or whatever. Like, I don't know. I just feel like every time a new generation comes up, they can be establishing their own rules. And interestingly enough, I think people our age, we, we just happen to be again, in the midst of constant re reinvention and revolution. I think we thrive on that. I think we like to feel like sure. everything has such important weight. And I I know I, I look forward to the the hope that others will adapt a more nuanced way of sort of seeing and approaching each other. It will be interesting to see kind of the evolution over the next 10 years, just yeah. because I mean, even with you saying the past decade, I feel like that's pretty accurate just because uh, as far as like the education in general mm-hmm. i mean every now and then i take a, a peek at me from even as recent as like four years ago five years ago definitely 10 years ago and i'm yeah. just like fuck <laughs> that's like that's like a person i don't even want to associate with um and i think it's it's been part of i've been in a lucky enough position where people are if i've had a certain thought or belief um or even kind of like certain things that i would say that people would have a conversation with me rather than lashing out at me yeah um which is something i think that i'm i'm not always open with with other people in the sense of giving them that opportunity and i've been trying to because there is definitely a period of my life where i would lash out N- not in the same <laughs> yeah. not in the same way because it's not like i've been ever fucking persecuted no but uh, but i mean i think that the the recognition towards this this feeling that you could grow, and I have a similar thing. Like, mm-hmm. I, regardless of our background, I think that everyone having, um, I think the greatest detriment of anyone's perspective, specifically with this current generation and how we treat each other online, 
is the the core ideology that they can never be corrected or wrong you know and um ironically i have a stupid show we have on try guys where my catchphrase is i'm right you're wrong shut up which is literally <laughs> my pair it's like a parody of this idea sure. of what i think is the the general feeling that most people have which is you are completely wrong if you are mm -hmm. going to come up against me and i think that it's opened up all this like really interesting discourse but in the end i d i don't think that anyone in any sort of field that was looking to discover something new um were completely closed off to to outside input or to compromise or to even negotiating um things in a way that you could continue like discourse that can create new ideas and new i don't know relationships that challenge what we think is supposed to be set in stone mm -hmm. Because I think that the worst idea that we associate with even like the idea of conservatism as we know it is this staid, stagnant feeling of 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 not being able to to grow. And I oh, think Oh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely changed. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that has changed a lot. But certainly anything that we think philosophically associated mm. with that idea of like, oh, they're immovable, the older generation or whatever. Um, if you reflect that on yourself, then I think that you're just giving yourself a disservice of going against everything you would believe, which is this lack of evolution. Right. And um, yeah, I don't know. There's always a line you can draw. I think everyone will see it. You can smell it mm -hmm. when you when you really speak with someone or even if someone comments some bullshit on your thing, you'll just know, okay, I don't want to associate with this person necessarily. Sure. But the way that will carry over, and I think I've seen it carry over into just like polite conversation is... I think what eventually is going to hurt a lot of people from potentially being able to access that growth. Yeah. It's, 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 it feel, I don't know. I feel I, and it may be the cynicism. I feel like it's more than ever the at least in my world, uh, people are just not open. Like I remember in the past I would yeah. get negative comments and I'd kind of just, I'd kind of like agree with them to the point where it was kind of like funny and half the time, like they'd be, they'd join in and like, Oh, you know what? I was just having a bad day. Some shit like that. Now, <laughs> If I try that, they just double down. Yeah. They're like, no, but seriously, go fuck yourself. Yeah. I hate you forever. Die in a fire. And I'm like, oh, well, thank you for watching. Yeah. Um, to, to kind of bring it back now that we've solved racism and injustice, <laughs> we did it together. Yes. <laughs> um, to kind of go uh, back to, and I think I'm just interested because I've experienced it to a different degree. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to ask you the worst thing about BuzzFeed or anything like that. What was, what's been, what was the best thing? about BuzzFeed and what's been the worst thing about being independent? Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of flip. I think the best thing about working for a place like BuzzFeed was in the end, although I was very um, against it while I was there, the feeling of the feeling of really keeping an eye on how you portrayed and supported marginalized voices you can never take that away from a place like buzzfeed it, mm -hmm. it always was regardless of even if there were controversies you know business that happens in, in, inside um their goal was always um to the end inclusivity and being very much part of the ways in which people could could enrich their viral experience by seeing other people from different communities and i think that that was pretty much i think 
even though I didn't like the like positive aspect of having to be like, well, everything's like hunky dory. Okay. I was going to ask yeah, it why wasn't, you didn't have like, I didn't like the tone of it all the time, sure. but I liked the, um, the meat of it, you know, the meat of the, the argument that we are going to seek, um, voices that haven't been heard. Sure. And I think that is why, uh, I inevitably had stayed there for a while, mm -hmm. which was, I felt supported in at the very least being as gay and Asian as I, as I felt, uh, creatively mm -hmm. in that space. Um, did I want to be positive about it all the time? Hell no. No, I wanted to fucking scream from the rooftops and do some really weird ass shit. But I think that was the best thing about working there. And I think the hardest thing about uh, being independent uh, with the Try Guys with our own production company is, oh, I guess I get really nitty gritty with business stuff, but I think that- I'm, I'm here to hear it. Yeah. We're in this age and we kind of discuss this with where YouTube's at right now, mm -hmm. where digital, um, especially with the viewing audience is, is comparable, if not sometimes superior to traditional. Sure. Yeah. Um, what people ingest is so YouTube and even podcasts, you know, they're, they're now part of like people's, uh, people's daily view viewing habits more so than even going to the movies. Mm -hmm. And so in the, but the businesses itself, we have to give uh, digital platforms a little credit where they're still like in a certain like pubescent stage. You know, they're still figuring out a lot of stuff sure. because they're also trying to make everyone happy while you have Hollywood, um, which is kind of now following the cue of what's happening online because they see it being very popular and they're trying to like figure out the secret formula because everything's very formulaic when it comes to things like that. But it's so structured, which is great. Which is why you have a lot of problems like, and injustices. I feel like you guys are in this like sweet spot though. Yeah, we're it's kind like, of in a nice middle spot. You're like mainstream YouTube. You yeah, know what I mean, we've been able to hit the mainstream, which is I never dreamed of as a person, but I think that is a. You guys have probably what been part of like Brandcasts almost every year, first, probably first year this year actually. Oh really? Yeah, because we were always so like that's part of the company thing. I think they also like didn't ever really invite us because they weren't oh. sure exactly how we would play. Because also like I think. You know, BuzzFeed, when we were there, had its own like massive sales generation arm. So it wasn't sure. like they needed YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was our first broadcast. It was like oh, with wow. the whole YouTuber summer. Yeah. That was very interesting. I liked the YouTuber aspect, uh, namely because I got to meet a lot of people sure, who I yeah. never met before. Um, and a lot of them met me and they're like, oh, Eugene's like chill. He, he wants to take everyone to the <laughs> That was going to be one of the things that I asked you about earlier was I was like, you talked about not really being accepted by the community. I was like, now that you guys are solo, right? You don't have oh, yeah, the big yeah. B kind of attached to you. Yeah. Are people like, hey, it's nice to actually meet you. I literally feel like the um, crazy gay uncle at those things because I'm like <laughs> slightly older, but I'm also like weirdly probably the most active in regards to like going out. Sure. Because certainly I never dealt with like being a teenager and being hounded by mm -hmm. by strangers. But, you know, as an adult who's still confused about why people approach him or like him, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to the drag show and you should, guys should come with me. So every YouTuber experience I've had, I've been dragging like whoever wants to go to drag shows with me. Oh, okay. So that's been really good. But um, yeah, no, I think that going back to the yeah, worst sorry. thing about the company. No, you're, you're fine. Deviated. Is the, uh, is the, no, I'll talk about drag shows until the cows come home. Um which is a very Texan phrase, uh, <laughs> is, um, the two things that go together. Yeah. So the, the, uh, YouTube being a competitor to traditional sure. means that there's a harder in for, um, what you do online to translate to what happens in traditional spaces and traditional spaces still have 
I would say the most money and the most power in regards to flexing um, creative projects. Mm -hmm. um, so say selling something like uh, the Phil DeFranco show or something to say a Netflix or something like that, right. they would want to see at this point, it's less about adapting you to traditional because you're a competitor sure. now. It's like, what can you give me that's so different, but will also appeal to a different audience, mm -hmm. but will also bring in your audience. So it's become this very interesting. Is that, is that based off of like conversations where yeah. you were trying to think of like, how can we do this project? Because I've heard that from several people that yeah. I thought would fucking kill it on Netflix and they're not getting those deals. Because the the insider information is that, you know, they've had experiences in a lot of streaming platforms and traditional trying to adapt, mm -hmm. say, digital talent over. And although me and the Try Guys consider ourselves more producers first when it comes to unscripted, you have a lot of people who are considered more like just traditional acting or on-screen talent. So you either have situations where someone um, crosses over, quote unquote, but then completely in a way abandons digital. Sure. Or yeah. you yeah. have people that they try to adapt. And when they adapt, they maybe bring over their audience, but they don't resonate with a larger audience outside of who already follows them. Sure. And so they don't see the value proposition of bringing someone over when they already have a high value that's insular to their digital workspace. Yeah. So that is kind of the, and this is kind of advice to anyone who is a creator or known for digital stuff. Uh, what is the new unique value proposition when it comes to traditional? And I think that what I do think is positive is that it's going to be the people like us or people from the digital space who are probably going to be the most influential connectors of traditional and digital rather than the other way around because understanding production models and timelines and budgets is a headache but you can get it but i think understanding the sort of secret sauce of how you can pop out a video in an hour and reach millions of people and speak to them in a way that feels honest is not something that you just pick up and it's mm -hmm. not something that you can uh write on a write on a um i don't know a a a chalkboard in the boardroom of uh, like a big movie studio, sure, which is really antiquating the I was idea. Like, of I was a, like, I agree and I disagree. <laughs> they don't have chalkboards anymore. I was like, I agree yeah. and disagree, just because we've seen kind of the rise of Will Smith on social media. We've seen yeah. the rise of uh, fucking jo who's who's super jacked in the Baywatch movie that's not The Rock, Zac Efron. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> this is this is my whole life. I'm like that guy that exists. Yeah, um, like him on YouTube, and it just seeing these kind of mainstream people be able to do something that is kind of quick or lower quality, but to massive success, I feel like you're not going to see the death of like the organic YouTuber, no, but no. it's going to, I feel like it's harder than ever. But what, where, I, where I would sort of shade that argument is mm -hmm. who is creating their videos though. So Will Smith isn't filming himself. Will Smith has a team sure. that's digitally knowledgeable that is a branch of his production company that does mm -hmm. his videos, which is, you know, great because he's a, a mega movie star you know yeah. that's where it comes so it's more the question of when traditional is now trying to seek the uniqueness of people from who have risen from the digital space and it's been happening under um our noses for the past like five ish years without us really knowing it like those pop-off television series especially on streaming that have unique perspectives from people that you would let like not necessarily associate with that um from uh, say a boardroom meeting where they're like, oh, we're going to pick up this show from um, Donald Glover or from, you know, people who have Bo Burnham, like these people who have sure. like experience in that space, that that's what they're trying to bring over. And in the end, it's going to be those people dictating, I think, the um, the quality in which that 
that content or that show or that movie is going to actually reach, you know, a wider audience. And I think that that always will come from the person whose hands are in mm-hmm. pots. And yeah, you With, can plug and play, I think, big traditional talent into sure. YouTube. And now it's becoming, you know, you're across everything. You're going to be on a Facebook show yeah. and then you'll also maybe be in a movie. Um, but yeah, with having to be everywhere, I've been kind of shocked by the number of people that we've had on where they're like, yeah, no, it's me. I'm like, stop, yeah. <laughs> stop. Like, well, cause you guys most likely you, ha- you've pay editors, right? I imagine. Yes. Yeah. It was yeah like, and that's a timeline thing too. Yeah. Well, like we used thing, to love that. Well, but yeah. Well, cause yeah. there's definitely, it's like you get to flex this different muscle, but totally you gotta, you get the output, right? The output is so limited. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's it? Something I've been wondering, it's something that I've, every person that I've ever worked with, I've always recommended against it, but what is it like working with what I, it sounds like they're main, like they're your main friends now, like these, these other three guys, what is it like going like, okay, not only do we work together and it's like creative choices, but this is our livelihood. Has that, has that changed now that you've gone independent for the better times worse? Yeah, I think that it's um, definitely better in terms of business autonomy for sure. Like that. That's just an obvious. I think for worse, um, we're at a stage in our career where we certainly um, see the value of what we do as a group. And we have mm-hmm. established a very strong brand and we truly are best friends, which I think is what in the end really matters for yeah. the digital space is that they see that they know it. I, it's always like, hard because yeah. it's like you see it and then everyone has this general understanding, but there's a lot of the time it's there's, it's completely different. And you'll see crews online that like pair up and collab and they're like friends, but they really yeah. fucking hate each other. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's the, you know, again, I'm, I'm talking about the old Hollywood model. It's just mm-hmm. like, cast, let's cast Marilyn with James and say, oh, you know, percent. but they'll hate each other on the set, but they'll make so much money. Um, or marriages or like whatever people are doing or fights. But it's also sometimes <laughs> like there's, you know, at some point we were all growing. We all become different people where yeah. you're just like, it's even to the point of when you were like, you know, there's certain people that it doesn't benefit you to have you in their life. Yeah. Right. But then it's like, you have this established thing. It's making money. It's helping you with the fame, but it's good to hear that. It's like, it's worked out thus far <laughs> for you. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. And I think we see it as uh like, we're so interested in the end in how, and a lot of the conversation hopefully reflected that is mm-hmm. what does digital content do? How does it contribute to society? How is it, what is the even the data and the science behind it? Why are these things working and why they're not? We're fascinated by that. Um, and I think that the core ideology of what we're doing as a production company, and if it eventually expands to projects outside of uh, digital, um, will always be there. I think when it comes to even just our individual pursuits and what we do creatively, we're eventually going to be branching off. It's going to happen. We uh, certainly are not in any ways reliant on one another. Um, but I think we also understand that some things are just always going to be great to produce with the spirit of honoring digital content. And we know that in that space, the four of us can like rock it with our socks off. I was going to say cocks out, but I'm, I'm going to, cause that people would believe that to be true. Cause we have been naked around each other a lot, a lot, but yeah. you know, with our socks off, we can, we can just like pump out really interesting stuff and have great ideas for until again, the cows come home. But um, what, yeah. what earlier you were talking about passion projects, mm-hmm. do you have kind of a, a ne- the next one in your head? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm working on uh, quite a few things that uh, might be more or less going more into the traditional space. Mm. Um, and I've certainly, you know, I've, I've learned a lot with this coming out video this year, which originally I was not even considering putting online that the privilege of even being a 
top tier YouTuber is so rare. And for me to withhold things because of this idea of platform, you know, like for some, for some reason, me having this old guard idea as a film school kid of I'm going to hold my full artistic self away from this platform because this is where I'm, I don't know, goofy or currently just sure. making my, my money, um, was a fallacy. It was a logical fallacy that yeah. I, I see now the error of my ways because every part of you that you bring that's new and interesting is what makes things like digital videos great. And that was a very particular unique thing that I put out there. Um, but I also see it as, you know, cool because I was able to show people what I do as a, as a director, as a choreographer, as a writer. And, um, a lot of that I hope will be echoed in future projects that, um, might find different homes and some things aren't necessarily right for say like a, a constant YouTube grind sure. and some things are. And I think that the big thing is kind of just being flexible about where that goes. Cause again, and it we, sounds like you're, you guys aren't in the, the mind space or the headspace of like you would ditch the platform to some no, degree, no. which I think fewer and fewer people have done now that they're taking other projects just because we've seen people in the past do that. And yeah. I was like, and you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, I think just, just late enough in the game of digital where we get why maintaining a digital presence yeah. is important. Because again, as we talked about like movie stars coming in, everyone's creating a digital presence anyway. So dropping it for some idea that you're going to be like migrated to somewhere else uh, is kind of um, inane in today's market because everyone's trying to have an imprint in everything. Um, but certainly for me, I think that uh, I am still very old school when it comes to things like um, filmmaking and I like crews. I like working with very talented people from different departments. I like to collaborate with I'm people. Just, I'm clenching inside. I'm like, no, I love it. I love it. I wish I could just, you know, have a huge like group of artists who I can just like argue with and work with and collaborate with. Yeah. And just, you know, that's my dream sort of environment just as a, as a storyteller more for me in the, in the scripted realm. But I think that, um, that'll be something that, uh, will be very good for me as a, as a creative, um, over the next few years. But, um, yeah, when it comes to digital, I think that for me, there's nothing more fulfilling than being able to showcase uh, who I am and what I can do within the uh, the sort of context of the Try Guys, mm -hmm. where at the very end of the day, even though I am, as I mentioned before, the only person of color and the only queer person, um, people see us as best friends and we are best friends. Mm -hmm. And isn't that like kind of the best message then that I people could take away is that Eugene is is truly just a dark nihilistic weird guy who's gay and Asian and angry. And yet he is like BFFs with these three goofy, fun, very cool straight white guys who in their own ways um, are unique in themselves. Right. So I think that there's power to, and I think that using the term mainstream is like hard. It, it's a, uh, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, I think you guys have done a really great job. I mean, among uh, several things of each of you stands out. Like, uh, I know that when to bring it back to a, a thing we talked about earlier about representation. Yeah. Where I, I know that in other things you've talked about, like in the past, uh, Asian men have yeah. been kind of relegated to the, the background. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not the case with you guys. Um, yeah, I just and it's just you, you've done a very effective job. And I wonder if it's just natural or is, is there something in the creation of the content that you focus on to make that the case or I think we, we, 
we this was kind of a good example of even when we first started as a cast, we were mm -hmm. very sensitive to audience comments. So we could see that people were attracted to certain things. The best example, and Ned can talk about this at length, is that Ned was kind of at first the other white guy because you had Keith who has a very distinct comedic personality sure, and yes. he's huge. He's a tall guy with Giant a big mouth. Man. And then you have Zach who's a tiny little, well, he's not actually that tiny. People think he is, but he has very small, like delicate bird-like bone structure. So he, and he's a, and he's a <laughs> yeah. baby sized head. So he's a little guy with glasses. Then you had Ned who's this like very generic looking white dude. And so he was always kind of the other white guy. And then when he mentioned in multiple videos that he was married, it became this huge character trait that the audience glommed onto, one that I was- Dude, I'm guilty of that. I was like, oh yeah, the one with the baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was totally just like, I was shocked when it first happened. I was like, Is, are kids interested in married people? Is this, uh -huh. it became like kind of an aspirational thing because he has a beautiful marriage with his wife and a mm -hmm. really cute baby um, that they forced me to be around. But the, uh, <laughs> see, the, the, um, the audience helped dictate what they wanted to see in regards to how we were. And it was kind of cool because we were becoming friends as the audience was becoming friends with mm -hmm. us. So we had a very rare situation where our group dynamics as they saw us as characters were also us figuring each other out as sure. people. And now, you know, we've been able to like relax out of those roles and just be ourselves completely. So I'm like fucking goofy and fun in a video. And then I'm also serious and angry in another one. Um, const constant exposure and output helps with that. I always said the weight of Asian America with Crazy Rich Asians because you get one movie to do that. Will people like it? You get one chance. And with me, the weight of my representation as an Asian American was through hundreds and hundreds of videos. So people got the 360 degree sure. view of who I was. And so that's the privilege of being online is that people got to know me in a way that was uh, way less precious than say, what I'm gonna do with a TV show. So where we're at now, which is great is that, and I don't believe in colorblindness, I don't believe any of that stuff, but what's kind of beautiful about what, what Try Guys did is that our characters have become so distinct in regards to um, our personalities that you have you know, kids who dress up like us for Halloween, but it doesn't matter what race they are or what sexuality they are, they just dress as who they are at, in regards to who they identify most as. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's not like the 90s where if we were the Spice Girls, I would probably have to be scary, you know? And every person of color knows this. If you're anyone in a group setting, you're like, okay, and you'll be the Yellow Ranger. And I'm like, okay, I'll be the Yellow Ranger. <laughs> now it's just sort of like this, you know, I think we, it's more just who do you, if you have the beauty of being able to like really know people, which we sure. have in the digital space, then they, there, I've seen a lot of them where the Asian friend is Keith and it's great. Um, but yeah, I think that- Do you uh, feel like it's- it's going the the route of so are you saying that you think that it's going the route of like it's less important or no i'm i'm hoping that whoever is me in halloween still yells about race and queerness and, <laughs> and gets mad at the others about sure, being sure, sure. like ignorant to things i think that's important but i think that um just in our in our our case where me is the uh othered person where typically in media i would either be like the sassy best friend or the emasculated like nerd you know whatever i would have played into typically mm -hmm. because of how i look or my background um we erased that immediately it was just very clear that we were just going to be ourselves and when we first started together I, I happened to also be the one who wanted everything and i happened to be also weirdly the most traditionally masculine which mm -hmm. is 
very funny because I'm the gay Asian guy. Sure. Um, because I have a lot of pent up rage issues and I have dad issues and I have lots of, you know, problems when it comes to if you put a liquor bottle in front of me. I've been staring at these Jameson bottles well, all the time. That's the thing is I was like, <laughs> I know that I know that you said that you like bourbon and I was like, we I could. love bourbon. I'm I'm just on medication. So otherwise I would have been like, yes, let's drink some bourbon. Are you a big bourbon guy? Uh, yes, I'm actually a. I'm working with a distiller right now where we're testing flavors. Oh, I'm like very excited. A DeFranco uh, brand bourbon. It won't have my name on it. Oh, but, okay. But it's, yeah, I'm very excited. It's, it's like the uh, Ryan Reynolds aviation gin. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. But I mean, that's the thing is it would be weird if it was called like Ryan's gin. <laughs> that's true. Do but, you have a, a type of bourbon in terms of the flavor profile well, so that that's you the thing we're, uh, So I'm going to, to San Diego in the next two weeks and we're just going to keep rolling through. I have kind of like this, this general idea. I've been learning a, way too much about the, just the industry in general and what's legal and not legal as far as how to get it into people's hands. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, uh, cause I don't know. I, especially like I grew up with <laughs> fuck uh, Bacardi 151 is like the first thing I Oof. ever drank, which yeah. is, yeah, it's just, it's just sloppy and bad. And, and then like, I, I kind of grew up and I, Jameson has been like my favorite uh, mm -hmm. sort of uh, drink. And then I've just been, drinking just a bunch of different bourbons and uh i don't have a favorite and i'm tr just trying to find something that i would want to sip right? do you like the smooth and clean like finish or do you want something with more i bounce back and forth smoke right? or grit or i know? think the reason that jameson was kind of my go-to is i was like oh, okay i can i'm not gonna <laughs> at the time wince yes and i'm gonna be like mm. but sometimes there's there's something nice about it whether it slows down my pace or it, i'm just looking for like a distinct flavor yeah but yeah i'm weird because i'm i is similar to like intellectually. I like to be challenged physically, especially on my palate. So my favorite like sipping whiskeys are like things that takes like a smoker's lung, even though uh -huh. I don't like smoking. Yeah. But I like the appeal of alcohol that feels like it's sat in a um like a hardcore <laughs> lifelong smoker's lung. Sure. And it's just like hits you like you're sitting in a Parisian cafe in the 1960s. That's interesting. Yeah. I like things that like force me to step back and go, huh? You know? <laughs> I was like, for me, that was IPAs because uh, the old oh, source see. fed crew would drink them. And I was like, I will drink this because it'll literally take me an hour to drink my first one. It was OK. So it's interesting with IPAs is that that was unfortunately looped into that whole like uh, the whole craze and trend of people liking IPAs with the whole uh, like individual breweries popping up and everyone sure. had to have their big IPA that they shoved a lot of herbal like spice and craziness yeah. into. So people kind of started dismissing it as like, oh, you like IPAs because it's on trend. But I sincerely want my beer to taste like it has been like dragged through uh, Martha Stewart's garden. You know, like I want it to taste like every herb. It's so interesting. Fucked inside. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand like even my own appeal for it. But yeah, when you were saying that all of a sudden people were like, "Oh, IPAs," then it felt like there was like the the emergence or new focus on was it sours? Yes. And it <laughs> but I'm not a big sours fan. I don't think I've ever had one. I think it's because sours often are paired with a fruity note. Okay. And I hate hate fruity tasting beer i even don't like um my wines have to be so dry that you could like uh you could like i don't know put a camel across it sure i, I want it to be like a desert any sweet wine i will throw across the wait room. so what is your what well, what is your relationship with alcohol now because it sounds like <laughs> healthy it's healthy <laughs> i certainly purport more of a like oh eugene like loves to drink um what i always have to clarify for the audience is um my stepfather is French Korean, so okay. I grew up part of my like childhood in France as well. Oh, wow. Okay. And then in my family, there has been alcohol dependency issues. So I've always sure. been around it in different ways. Sure. 
but certainly I, uh, appreciate it culturally. I also appreciate it for a good party and mm -hmm. I, um, have a really weird high tolerance. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's where the whole partying mystique comes from, but certainly I'm, I'm very responsible when it comes to drinking it. Sure. Um, but I, do you feel like you've always I been love, that way or is it, it's been like a learned behavior? No, I, I, I hated it as a kid. Really? Yeah. I okay. didn't touch it until I was in college, namely because of wow. the said family problems. Mm -hmm. But, um, once I had it, I was just like, oh, I get why people in my family buried their issues with this. It was great. Yeah. yeah. But now I appreciate it when it comes to taste because I actually like the taste of alcohol. Mm -hmm. What I found is so I'm not a big rum drinker because rum mixed drinks are mm. so buried in sugar and juice oh, yeah. that you can't taste the alcohol. And that's what for it's a very stereotypical term, but what they call like the college girl drink where they're like, get the Malibu and the orange juice. And that's what you put in the party. Uh. I don't want to taste like I'm just drinking like juice as a toddler. Do you I have, mean, do you have like a one alcohol, just like hearing the name makes you sick? Cause when you said rum, uh, for some reason, Parrot Bay popped in my head and I was oh. like, oh, oh. <laughs> like, oh, but do you have, do you have like one that you have this just name connection to that? Mine are definitely, reaction? mine are definitely opposite from most people. Cause I could say the the average drinker would say, um, they make a face when you say Jägermeister. They oh, make a face when you say yeah, mistakes. A lot of people don't like fireball whiskey. Which is a little too sweet I'll for me, it. but I like it I'll for it every now and then. I mean, it's a great party thing, yeah. you know. Um, but for me, you don't. What's the the most offended I get? I think, God, with, <laughs> you know, I don't think. I think that dessert wines one, okay, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. really turned me off. And then, um, as far as liquor brands, God, I really don't discriminate much with liquors. <laughs> Um, I'm just a big fan. Yeah. I just don't like things that like if you have vodka and then it's flavored with like bubble gum or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't fuck with that. Okay. I, I want, I want it's it to taste heavy flavors. the heavy flavor of the alcohol and appreciate that it was like barrel aged or whatever sure. the process was. So that's why I tend to lean towards bourbons and whiskeys uh, just because you can drink them neat, which I, I appreciate or like yeah. a good old dirty gin martini or something like that. I've gotten into gin recently cause I like tasting the juniper and those those notes, which I think a lot of people are very averse to gin. I don't, I mean, I don't seek it out. I don't know if I have any, <laughs> any feelings. I find whiskey bourbon drinkers tend to appreciate yeah. parts of the, Yeah. Cause gin okay. is also something I think you can, you really want to like taste sure. the actual gin. Um, I don't know if this has become a drinker's podcast. Hey, suddenly. I mean, how, it how could be. You talk no, about well, alcohol? I used to, so <laughs> I want to say it was like four years ago. My idea of a podcast was like 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, we'd always open it with, Hey, let's get a drink. And, we stopped doing that uh, because I shot, it had to be, and I feel so bad about this. I shot like a two and a half to three hour podcast uh, with Anna Akana. Mm. And I think I legitimately just got so drunk that I didn't know what was happening in the conversation. Oh, no. Never went up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So and Anna was drinking too? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. No, Anna's cool. So I can imagine that yeah. would have been a fun conversation. No, and I think, I think there was definitely... 30 solid minutes in there. And yeah. then I was just talking in circles. So now I don't for the most part, but I think that's, that's the thing. It's a, uh, I think I was also shooting two podcasts back to back. So she got yeah. the worst version of me because yeah. I was just already in. I was like, yeah, we're having a great time. Yeah. On that, on uh, uh kind of like, it's interesting with the try guys for this output, we created these sort of like quick series that we could shoot that mm -hmm. interestingly enough, because it was just us shooting from the hip became like mainstay shows on our channel so it's like Keith's Eat the Menu where he eats all of the fast food at yes. once. Those are easier to shoot because you order, you sit. Sure. I do something called Rank King, which was just like... I saw, I think you did a cereal one. Recently. Yeah, I did a cereal yeah, yeah. one with a, with a child, which was fun. <laughs> Very cool child. Um, but one of them was uh, these... I often do alcohol. One was this international cocktail t taste mm -hmm. test. 
It was interesting because people I, were, I was with were totally pushing all the things I like towards the bottom and I pushed mine towards the top. So my number one was uh, USA's Manhattan. Okay. Uh, because I just liked whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they put it so low. And number two for me was uh, Italy's uh, Negroni, okay. which has Campari in it. Okay. And a lot of people don't like Campari because it's a very like strong, bitter flavor. Sure. But I think, you know what it is? I think I like alcohol that tastes like my soul. <laughs> which is? Bitter. Okay. Dark. Smoky, <laughs> just like hazy. It. Like you can't really I, quite see through what's going on. Yeah, I know that I was talking about bourbon. I think, n- other than bourbon, tequila is probably my favorite oh, yeah. now. But I had a tequila. weird relationship with it because about ten years ago, uh, when I was coming up, uh, Axe Body Spray uh, took. <laughs> they were just going into to, to body washes, and so for some reason they decided they were going to get a bunch of bloggers and me for some reason, uh, and they're going to take us to the Kentucky Derby. And every oh, you went to the Kentucky Derby. It was the only time I ever went. It was very interesting. I'm so interested in the Kentucky. Well, Derby. it's it's like two different worlds because yeah. uh, you have like hoity-toity. Uh, I'm drinking like this very the like, fancy one percenters, yeah. and then yeah. you go into the field and there's like people breaking glass bottles and cut up because they stepped on the glass yeah. bottle. It's like insane. Yeah, um, fights breaking out. Were you in but, the field or were you? In no, this? I went to both. Oh, okay, that's because cool. I, I was just like I want to experience yeah, what this yeah. is, um, but. So we went there and they would always do something related to one of the scents. Like, so they were like, here's this experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was like kind of like a refined thing. And uh, it was related to one of the body washes and we had a tequila tasting. And I didn't know that in a tequila tasting, you're supposed to spit it out. Um, and so I essentially just drank like 10 shots of tequila before we went out. And by the end of the night, I was just throwing up everywhere. It was a horrible time. And then these motherfuckers, they knew what they were doing because they also got us uh, drunk at uh, this, this like club where it was like eight nerdy dudes in the VIP section. Um, And they, they, they gave us, I think it was called fucking snake skin uh, body wash in the morning to wash last night off. And I was like, you motherfuckers got me shit faced. So you could be like, and that's how this relates to this body wash. Uh, Other than that, it was great weekend. That sounds like a party. It was, I mean, but I couldn't touch tequila probably for three, four years. Yeah. I think a, uh, a word of advice I will never change is you should never use any sort of perfume, body wash, shampoo, um, that smells more than the um like the natural scent should you mm-hmm. know what i mean like it's just like the rule for candles sure you don't want to send a candle to smell like an actual pumpkin spice latte you want it to smell like you there's <laughs> like like there's one in like two rooms over sure otherwise this you you just are oppressively scented god i didn't know how much goes into candles we uh we <laughs> release some for uh, we have a hair care line and uh oh you have a hair care line too yeah yeah what um i needed something because i have like the straightest hair in the world and I, it took me like nine years to find something that would work you should go in asking for someone who knows asian hair oh. that's what you should do so i have some advice for you actually okay scissor cuts only yes never, never use yeah. uh and this is for anyone listening who has this quality hair mm. don't use the number two because well, otherwise you just buzzer. fucking see the scalp yeah you'll see the scalp yeah. which is a look i mean if you want to go down to that <laughs> No, it's that's, good. That's not my look. Yeah. But if it um, once it starts growing out, there's that middle awkward time where for Asian guys, especially the hair sticks straight out. There's mm-hmm. no way to comb it down. If you have thinner hair uh, or wavier hair, there's ways to style it to push yeah. it down. But you have to wait for it to get to a certain length so it can lay flat. So if you ask your stylist who's good to just get a scissor cut and have them to cut it just before it would actually stick straight, then you'll always have a nice haircut. OK. Yeah. Noted. But you have Asian hair. 
Yeah. Maybe there's like a Asian person way up in the genealogy. Just 3%. Have and you it was done all the from my head. Genetics well, test? Yeah, but it's like it's it's mainly Italian Sicilian and then it's like a bunch of euro. Ah. Uh, yeah. But I think there's like 2 or 3%, but I would never <laughs> at that percentage I'm not claiming anything. Are you like half Italian? Yeah. Ah, uh, so that means that's the predominant culture in the household, right? The Italian you know, side? I don't know. It was a little bit of everything because, uh, I mean, as far as my dad, yeah. But it was it's, it's one of those things where, like, my mom's, I think, German-Italian. She doesn't feel Italian at all. Yeah. And then, But then in my dad's house and then with my stepmom, definitely, it was like... It's all, it's not pasta or it's not regular spaghetti. It's like, uh, you have sauce, you yeah. have, uh, God, there's so many conversations that I didn't understand what the fuck was happening because everyone's speaking Italian yeah. and no one was like, maybe we should teach Philly. Maybe he should know how to speak Italian. Yeah. Cause I think there's certain, um, we don't give enough credit to certain like European cultures that I think are, I think more, um, aggressively passed down. <laughs> based on like national pride and just like richness of, of cuisine and culture and sure. Italian and like Greek, we use the Irish too. They're like mm. very much, that's when I meet like white people who have a quarter Italian. They're always so Italian. You know, they're oh. always like, oh, you go home and my mom's like Italian, like this or that. Oh, man, or I got, I got nothing. Yeah. I got nothing. I that's was, like a big thing. I was like shipped between, uh, like my parents got divorced. So I was shipped between houses. And so it's like you're bouncing between New York and then North Carolina and then North Carolina and Florida. So it yeah. was like, I've got really no roots, whether it be to like, I don't know, uh, like I, I used to claim New York, but yeah. I don't. I've lived now in California the longest, but I still don't think of myself as a Californian. I don't know. It's uh, I feel like I don't have roots. I'm just like, I just think of myself as a generic white guy. <laughs> I think as long as there's like one Italian grandma up in the family, then that, oh, yeah, no, that, that. that like spirit like yeah. is, is steadfast. It lives on. There's like Ned of... is, Ned is less than a quarter time. And every time you talk to him, he's just like, oh, I'm Italian. And I'm like, no, you're not. But then I thought about it. I was like, oh, but culturally. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That, yeah. that just like, it goes, it's like all Chicago and like uh, Irish culture, you know, sure, people sure, might sure, have sure, like sure. a quarter Irish and that Irish. I think maybe part, of the, real part of the, in, in America, part of it that, with younger generations that are less connected to it might be that like there was a time in America where Irish and Italians were actually like persecuted against. Yeah. Whereas no one's, no one's ever fucking called me WAP. Yeah. <laughs> no one's, no one's ever gone. At I was me. about so, to bring that up is that, I mean, the resilience sure. in which cultures have had to survive because of persecution yeah. has also contributed, I think, to the richness in which uh, family members have to, to pass it down. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head, like Irish and Italian, especially uh, they were seen as like the Brown folk back in the day sure. with Ellis Island. And um, yeah, who, what, what else would you do besides surviving than to know that you need to like make sure that your kids and your grandkids yeah. have that. And also like Italians have such good fucking food that why would you ever want to <laughs> ever have anything else besides Italian food? I'm, I, one thing I wanted to touch on before we kind of close it out, because yeah. you, you mentioned daddy issues. And then I remembered that you said that and maybe I'm getting it wrong that you're coming out or your relationship with your father allowed him to be less masculine. Is that accurate? No, there was, was something, uh, there was something about you that uh, helped change your father. And I, I, but you didn't elaborate on it when I was. No, with, I think, uh, it's, it's multiple, it's kind of multifaceted. Okay. So, uh, I have my father and my stepfather, and my mom. Okay. And I think that, um, you know, I think, Anything that really shakes a family structure, whether it be someone coming out or, mm -hmm. in my case, a divorce in the family, um, really challenges the uh, accepted norms you have of your sort of nuclear familial structure. And a lot of times that plays into 
what people might consider very traditional gender roles, like your father's the dad and mm -hmm. your mom is the the homemaker or something like that. And um, really with my coming out, uh, particularly on, on some of my family's side, they were able to, I think, see how much one, my identity is connected to my art and my work, which certainly with some conservative communities, like that helps them kind of get it, sure. you know, as opposed to me just saying it as a kid, they see that if I can express it through something like my video, that it's very near and dear to um, what I want to say as a, as a filmmaker, as a video producer. Um, but also I think that, you know, there, I grew up in such a, a limited uh, structure in regards to everyone's feeling like they had to uh, assimilate to a certain role mm -hmm. because of their gender or their uh, background. And for me, my sexuality was hidden. Um, coming out was, uh, I think, very freeing for everyone, whether it be people that I no longer will talk to because sure. we know where they stand, or mm -hmm. it'll be people that are still close to me, like my parents, who get that part of the reason, I think, to best put it is my mom sometimes sends me texts now where she's apologizing because she feels not, she doesn't feel like, she gets it now, but she feels worse that she never spotted it when I was a kid. Hmm. She sees me talk about being depressed or being uh, bullied and she never, she knew I was weird. She knew I was, I was artistic <laughs> and, and like strangely quiet a lot. Sure. But she didn't ever think that I was going through that much pain. And for her, the, um, the idea that she was somehow trapped in her own position to not be able to see my issues mm. or pain that hurts her now, which I think is really tragic because I tell her, no, 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 you couldn't have done anything because you were also put into this like exalted housewife position where you were like, this is your role. This is what you sure. do. But I think that it's that type of conversation that's really wonderful where she's come to a point and all my parents have come to a point to see like, oh, okay, I can identify how not only it was your struggle and you coming out in this moment, but how that relates to how I was treating you when I was then and where I'm at now. Sure. So my dad can see, or my parents, my stepfather can also see that, yeah, you know, treating me like I was the boy mm -hmm. and the like sporty, emotionless boy certainly didn't help uh, my my growth uh, to come to terms with my sexuality. Um, but I think that can't, it's, I always say, especially with queer people in the queer community that your, your solo journey is tied to so many other people's journeys with you. Uh, your coming out processes, especially with close family, um, is like a weird coming out for them as well. And so once you mm. can determine if they are worthy or interested or really like capable of evolving with you, then you have to be sensitive to what their journey looks like. Sure. Mine happened to take over 20 years, yeah. but finally we're at a point where they, they get it. But, um, yeah, I think that, I mean, it's interesting. That's yeah. kind of like lovely, but also sad because it involves regret. Huh? Which I think really when it comes to uh, LGBTQ stuff, it's always going to be regret driven and sadness oriented. I think there, there's no way to get around this idea of someone hiding themselves for so long without people feeling the immediate, uh, the immediate emotion of mm -hmm. um, what that kid or person was going through, which was not being themselves. And I think when people come to terms with this idea that they might have also have potentially actively contributed to the person being closeted or mm -hmm. not understanding or not liking themselves, um, it's certainly very hard and probably even harder for parents and siblings who um, love their kid, you know, because I think in the end, I determined my parents love me. Yeah. And they understand now that things that they might have said or did uh, 
were harmful and sure. they, but they get it now, which is great. And that's kind of like the light of the end yeah. of the tunnel. I try to tell, especially a lot of kids who are queer and, and of color or from religious backgrounds mm -hmm. that, um, some things take time, unfortunately. And, you know, having the realization that you might have in your own structured view as a father or mother, um, might've also hurt your kid. Yeah. And you have to get over not only that, but your own self-perception of what it means to be a dad or a mom. Or, so, so around yeah. that, because I usually, I always ask like for a piece of advice in general for creators, but I think kind of, I, I want to ask you on that note, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about it too, as now a, a parent of a, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Oh my God, your dad. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm so sorry. Well, <laughs> wait, I usually can oh, sniff, I you're sorry. I'm, like, I'm sorry that you, you decided to have children. No, no, no you seem so cool though. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's because I just got a vasectomy, so I'm I'm reverting back to my old self. Really? Oh yeah. Oh. When I said I was a on whole other when I said I was on medication topic. right now, that's literally why from the vasectomy. Yeah. So you just two kids. That's it. Yeah. Oh, done. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, done. But on the note, right? Because I think it's not. It, it's it's potentially advice that's not just for a parent uh, of you know an, an LGBT kid, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but just in general, having lived your experience, what would it what advice would you give to a parent out there uh, for any kid based off of, you know, yeah. your, own, your own upbringing? Hmm. Oh, it's tough because it's interesting. I'm not because I'm not a parent, but I'm. Well, what, what would you have wished your your parents did? I feel like maybe that's where it can come from. You know, I think and hopefully this is universal. My 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 I speak so specifically about my experience. And I think that's usually hopefully where the best stories come from is people go, oh, I, I see myself in that somehow. Um I've often wished divorce upon my Asian friends' parents. Is that a weird thing to say? <laughs> no, I yeah. think that makes sense. Some people just shouldn't fucking be Some together. people shouldn't be married. Yeah. And um, certainly in a lot of Asian cultures, like uh, arranged marriages are still a thing. Mm. And um, I saw the the lack of love with my parents since I was a kid mm. before they divorced. And I se I smelled it immediately growing up. And I could see that duty and position and station in life as a husband, a wife, a man, a woman, a man, a man, a woman, a woman, whatever it is, whatever sure. your self-perceived station is as a parent, um, is one of those things that is like, I think it's a sinister secretly ingrained thing that we don't think about often. I mean, think about all the daddy and mommy issues everyone has yeah, really deep in their soul and how that will always translate to probably how you are as a parent. You know, mm -hmm. I'm already dreading how I'm going to be as a parent because I know I'll be aware of it and try to help, you know, like reconcile a lot of issues I've had. But I think that the biggest thing is for parents um, not to lose sight of themselves before their role as a mom or dad. Love and that. it's hard because they, I think that in the end, and now being so close to Ned and Ariel from the Try Guys, being young parents mm -hmm. and really respecting how all consuming it is. And also like they would die for their kid. Like there's no yeah. question. I don't feel that. I mean, maybe for <laughs> one of my dogs, <laughs> I won't say which dog I love my dogs, but you know, I'm not like the car is going to come. It's going to, I'll be like, Oh, it was so sad. Time to go to the pound. But you know, <laughs> a baby, I'm going to fucking jump from the car. Sure. No, I'll, I'll, I would probably actually die for my dogs, but the, um, I was like, I don't agree with that decision, yeah. but, but you do you, I guess. Oh no. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the, core idea of maternal and paternal instinct is there. And then I think if that ends up overriding the self care and, um, autonomy of being an individual, um, already I see people losing that in marriages. Like oh, yeah. if you lose that, I don't think, I don't think any like true form of happiness can come that has been solely derived from, uh, your, your perception of yourself based on a relationship. 
And I think that that is something I was really witness to because of a uh, traditional Asian society where filial piety is like the number one thing and your relationship to your father, especially, and then your mother and your siblings, there's an order, there's a competitiveness, oh. there's a, uh, there's a, a duty again, for lack of a better word. And how that destroys, I think families from, from the inside out is that there, it immediately is an excuse to not grow or communicate issues with one another because you are you are uh, conditioned and expected to suppress it for the sake of your relationship with your partner or your parent or your child. Sure. And I think when um, my parents, what I wish they did and which they kind of did once they divorced, which was realize that the the simmering issues or anger or self-doubt that they had, even just in their marriage, was going to inevitably ref be reflected in how they treated their kids without knowing that that sort mm -hmm. of internal um, rot or decay, as I like to call it, um, spreads like a weed and it will affect all of their most interpersonal relationships. But a lot of families, particularly ones I was witness to, who I've wished divorce upon, like just silently, like, oh, I wish your parents could divorce <laughs> and have, have their own lives. Yeah. Um, it's there and then it carries on because then you bury your parents and then you yourself saw what they did, how they, they suffered together. And then you are expected to suffer with that. And I, I, I now am like more self-possessed to understand that I'm better than that type of suffering. Well, but I certainly have, yeah. yeah, I certainly have constantly subjected myself to long suffering relationships. And even with my own demons, because I expect myself to, to get through it because mm -hmm. of what I should be, which is a man and a good son and whatever bullshit that is. And, you know, that's a universal thing. I think that people feel like they must present a certain way to check off a box based on where they are, who they are in their life without actually looking inside and seeing what the actual source of their pain is from. And the, and I don't want to use it to say it's an excuse, but the excuse of being like a father or a mother mm -hmm. or a husband uh, is often a weird band-aid people say to excuse bad behavior or to excuse mm -hmm. a strange view on something that could be dealt with in a very individual way, especially with like a queer kid, you know? So that's kind of the, where it kind of comes full circle. Sure. Being a good father to teach your son how to be a man, which is a constant thing that you see like people getting enraged about on Twitter. But the core idea of it is still like, you know, my dad's really masculine. I sure. was raised very masculine and I can see a lot of people out there. It doesn't matter if there's someone LGBT in your family or not, or if it's your daughter or your son, there's a weird thing about feeling like you have to raise someone a certain way because they happen to be a certain gender or because they happen yeah. to like, I don't know, like, like a sport or like a dresses. Like, it's just so, it's so much of like this outside conditioning and tradition that is like seeping into our brains yeah. that we do not in check of because in the end you should value your relationship with your family and your kid before your relationship with what larger society has told you to believe. Sure. Right. Yeah. I think I like that. There's like yeah. several lessons there. Focus on yourself. It's a tough first, thing because I'm, I'm certainly guilty of constantly saying things as a knee jerk reaction because I've been conditioned to think a certain way. You know, I don't yeah. cry in front of people <laughs> like I hate it, you know, and I sometimes think like, oh, sometimes they're like, oh, Eugene, you should try to cry more in videos. People love to see you feel things. And I'm like, no, I fucking hate feeling things because so much in me is like, no, but then I can imagine what if I saw like my son or daughter crying, you know, sure. would I just tell them to 
stop crying or, you know, or it depends like, on the situation. Yeah. But it's certainly, it's certainly where that comes from. For me, it's not just about the kid. It's about like what I'm, what, where have I come from and why am I thinking that? Sure. And I think that's kind of like, yeah, it really just comes back to parents and just anyone in a family structure should treat themselves as themselves first. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely key, right? It's like yeah. kind of the same idea of if obviously life isn't this, but if the plane's going down, you put the mask on yourself first. Yeah. Right? But yeah, it, you can lose your identity and just become this other thing. Regarding kids, though, I'm, I'm not one of these oh, people. Oh, that plane analogy is great, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really it's solid against, at them. Well, it's against your instinct. Mm. But if you pass out sure. before, you you have to put it on yourself yeah. first to take care of someone else. That, and it's also like I, I've lived my life and I know that my, you know, I might have like a closer relationship with my boys and be able to keep like my marriage together and maybe everything is great. But also at 21, there's part of me that kind of wants him to go like. I love you, dad, but fuck off. I'm going to go be my own person. So yeah. it's understanding like I still have to live with me. Me and my wife are going to still be together. And then regarding the the raising, I think I'm once again, I'm not one of these people that wears the shirt that says like raise boys and girls the same. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah. on, like a mountaintop. But it's like if my kid wants to like he plays soccer. Great. If he wants to dress up like a princess, I don't fucking care. It's not like <laughs> it's not like saying no to one of those things is actually going to change who he is. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But no, it's tough. I yeah. think it's tough. I can never imagine what it's like to be a parent. You know, it's just, you're essentially, you're, you have so much writing on how you're raising your kids. Like, I, I, I think if a, you said, I think if you said like you had a general idea or anyone had a general idea, most of them are going to be wrong. Like, yeah. Unless, unless you came from a family with like 10 kids and I've, I've got a few Catholic friends that are like that. But yeah. Yeah. But I mean, everyone has their own fair share of like neuroses, right. That came from them. You know what? My thing is also is I just hope that people impart their unique neur neuroses that are mm. not necessarily like detrimental, but like fun on your kids. Right. I feel, but I also feel like, yeah, I feel like, I feel like you <laughs> like have some to, uniqueness, right. You, you don't want everyone some, to be some Trump homogenized. Right. Yeah. You need, you need a little Trump. Like I, I will stand by this. I grew up in a cutthroat competitive household. My sure. sisters, we had to be like better than each other. I don't think I'll be able to like resist pitting my kids against each other, even if it's just in my own like evil villain lair way, just to see it might be how they though. react with each I other. I feel like, but your, your parents were coming up at a time where there wasn't as much entertainment and that was probably something for them. Well, this is going to be my form of entertainment as dad, I'm sure. Eugene, thanks so much. <laughs> yeah. And if on. you ever uh, want me to come punch you in the face for the first time, let me know. Uh, I don't know if I could handle it. Hey, thanks so much for watching this podcast. If you made it to the end of the video, you like this, you want more in your life. After you hit that like button, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Right now, we got one brand new video every week. Also, if you don't want to watch My Dumb Face with the fantastic faces coming on, you can also click that link in the description down below and you can listen to us in all the good audio podcast places like Apple Podcasts and <laughs> Google Play. Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't really listen to podcasts off of Apple Podcasts. But apparently 51% of you do. So we're also there. Okay, bye.